I'm really glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Uh, today is our second week in the Advent series, and so we're going to be continuing on in the season of waiting and anticipation. Before we do, really quickly, I want to give you a little update. Last week, we had our annual business meeting, uh, and that is a time when we look back at everything God has been doing in the year before, forward, to where we believe He's leading us in the weeks, months, and years to come. It's also a time where members of our church vote upon certain things like the budget for the coming year and officers for the next year, like elders and the financial representative. And so just to give you a little update, um, the result of that vote, 33 members voted. Uh, and for the budget, it was a unanimous vote. 33 members voted to approve. Zero no, zero abstentions. Is that the word abstention? Yeah, sure. And then for the officers, we had 33 yes, zero no, and one abstention. So thank you so much for coming to vote. Um, and it's, it's encouraging to see the, uh, the united mind of the people of our church. So I so wanted to give you a little update on that. Now today we are back in the Advent series, like I said. Last Sunday, we were in the book of Isaiah. We were in Isaiah chapter 9, and really we started last week by looking at Isaiah chapters 1 through 9. Everything that led up to chapter 9. And we saw that Isaiah had a message for the people of God, for the people in Israel. God told them to give them this message, but God also told them that they wouldn't listen to this message. But all the same, this was the message. Judgment is coming. Destruction is coming to Israel. But after that will come hope. Judgment will come upon Israel for their sin, for their idolatry, and uh, for their turning their backs on the Lord. But after that, God would send a deliverer. He would send a king who would come and restore the kingdom of Israel and sit on the throne forever over a kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice. This king would be none other than the wonderful counselor, almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the baby named Emmanuel, because he would truly be God with us. This was Israel's message or Isaiah's message to Israel. And as time passed, destruction did come. 722, the Assyrians came in and wiped out the northern empire, the empire of, of Israel. And then in 586 BC, the Babylonians came in and took the southern kingdom, that's, that's Judah, into exile in Babylon. Eventually, God did bring the people of Israel back to their land. Uh, and then uh, after time, power changed a number of times and by the time we get to the book of Luke chapter 1, where we are today, the people of Israel have been oppressed by one nation or another for 700 years. 700 years. They have been waiting for this king. 700 years they've been waiting for the person promised in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. This one who would be the everlasting ruler. They're still waiting. It still hasn't come. And so that's the context that we're in when we open to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Um, so as we turn there and as we dive in, let's pause for a moment and I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. Um, the passage we're looking at it today is a passage that we have looked at together as a church before. It's a passage that we've all heard if we've gone to church services uh, for years because this is a passage that is core to the, to the story of, of Christmas. But Father, we pray that you would show us in this passage, something, um, something that you want us to see, something fresh. Uh, show us, Father, the true beauty of this passage, that it's not just a nice story, but it's a nice story with an infinitely more beautiful point. And I pray, Father, we would worship through this, 
that we wouldn't just fill our minds, but we'd fill our hearts with the beauty of your gospel. And that we wouldn't just come in to love you more, that also, but that we would come to love you more so that we would give our lives even more fully to you, to your service and to your worship. God, may that be the result of today. May that be the result of our Advent series. May that be the result of everything we do together as a church. May we be that family that glorifies you in all we do. So, Father, speak to us today through this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. That's where we're starting. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, that's, that's Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In these first couple of verses, Luke, the author, he brings us to the region of Galilee, a region in the northern part of Israel, and he zeroes in on a town called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a small town. It was about half the size of Alton, maybe even less, uh, about 1,600 to 2,000 people. And he brings us there to introduce us to three characters. Number one, to a young woman named Mary. And what we can tell from this passage is that Mary is a virgin betrothed or engaged to a man named Joseph. From everything we can tell here, Mary's a very normal young lady. There's nothing out of the ordinary about Mary that we can tell here. Let's look at Joseph then. What we see about Joseph is that he is in the line of David, but beyond that, we know almost nothing about him. Matthew tells us that he was a carpenter. Uh, so even though he was in the line of David, he was not on the throne. He was not somebody who was waiting to take the throne himself. But still, this point that he's the, in the line of David is going to be important for us. But from what we can tell from this passage about Joseph, he also was a very normal man. We're brought to this town, and we meet a very normal young woman engaged to a very normal young man when something very abnormal happens to them. And that's what brings us to the third character, because an angel named Gabriel was sent by God to them. And this is what he says to Mary. Sorry, not to them. Sent to Mary. And this is what he says to Mary. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now that's a good greeting. That sounds like a good message, but all the same, no matter what the message is, if an angel were to show up to you, how would you respond? It doesn't matter how good or bad the message is. Either way, you'd be thinking, what is going on here? And that's exactly how Mary responds to what we see in this passage is that she is shocked and troubled and trying to figure out what exactly is happening here. What's the purpose of this message? And so the angel, knowing that she's probably a little bit disconcerted, trying to figure out what the heck is going on here, he, he continues on and says this to her in verses 30 through 33. He says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It's a normal young woman engaged to a normal man, and this is the message that the angel shows up to bring to them. And understandably, Mary is perplexed. She's trying to figure out what's going on, and Gabriel rushes on to calm her nerves, basically saying, 
do not worry. You're good. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor in the eyes of God. And throughout the rest of these couple of verses, he, he proceeds to give her a message. A message that really has two main parts. We can break up Gabriel's message to Mary like this. Who and what? What and who? The first thing he tells, him, tells her is what. What will happen? What was, is going to happen to Mary? Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is the message that the angel brings <laughs> to Mary. That's the what. The what will happen. But what about the who? Who will this child be? Well, this passage it actually tells us three things about who this child will be. So let's see what these three things are, starting in verse 31. The angel says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Okay. So this child is going to be born to a human. This child will have the flesh of a human. It will have the spirit of a human. This child will be born from the womb of a human. In other words, this child will be a human. That's the first thing we can tell about this child. Now that might seem very unimportant. That might seem like, a, like a, something that we can just move past and move on from. That doesn't really matter here, but let me assure you, it matters. It's going to matter when we realize what this child is going to do later on in his life. Later on in his life, this child is going to represent all of humanity before God. And if he's not a human, he can't do that. So it's important for us to recognize this child. The first thing we see about him is he is a human, born of a human. Let's move on. Second thing, verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So just as this child will be a human because he's the son of a human, apparently also he's going to be the Son of the Most High. A little bit later we'll read that he's called the Son of God. So if the son of a man is a man, the son of a dog is a dog, the son of a frog is a frog, the son of God is God. That's who this child is. Number one, he will be human. Number two, he will be God. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's move on to the third thing, verse 32 and 33. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Number one, this child will be a human. Number two, this child will be God. Number three, this child will be a king. And not just any king. <laughs> he will be the king. The king that the people of Israel have been waiting for for 700 years. The king that's going to take his throne in Israel and bring a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and justice. A king that will reign over that kingdom forever. This is the one who will sit on the throne of David. And this is a bombshell. This is a bombshell when we look at the entire history of Scripture, but it's also just a bombshell for this young woman. She's probably sitting at home picking out centerpieces for her wedding when all of a sudden this angel shows up and says, Guess what? It's a boy! And she's thinking to herself, Wait a second, this doesn't make sense. How is this even possible? And the angel says, Yes, even though you're a virgin, you are going to have a baby. And oh yeah, it's going to be the Messiah. It's going to be the king that the people of Israel have been waiting for. And in this list, we're not going to go deep into this, but he lists off at least three different prophecies from the Old Testament. Very briefly, I'll, I'll say it, I'll, I'll share them with you, that he's going to sit on the throne of David. That fulfills the prophecy that God gave to David in 2 Samuel 7. 
that he's going to reign on the house of Jacob forever. This fulfills a blessing given to Judah in Genesis chapter 49. His kingdom will have no end. We saw that last week, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9. The child that Mary is going to have is the long-awaited Messiah who will set his people free and then establish a kingdom of never-ending justice, peace, and righteousness forever. This is the what and the who. What is going to happen? A virgin will conceive and bear a son. Who will this son be? He will be the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. What and who? But Mary has a different question, doesn't she? Let's go on to verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How? How will this be since I am a virgin? Angel wants to talk about the what and the who. Mary wants to talk about the how. Whoa, 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 Gabriel, back up a minute. I don't know if you know how things work around here. Virgins don't have babies. And all this king business is well and good, but what you're saying is impossible. How will this be since I am a virgin? And so Gabriel does. He backs up to explain to her how. He answers the how question. So verse 35 through 37. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. So Mary asks, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And if we're going to sum up Gabriel's answer, it would basically be this. God will make it so. How is this possible? I'm a virgin. Mary, don't worry. God will make it so. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. God will make it so. You are bound by nature, Mary, but God is not. You are confined by natural laws. God wrote those laws. You cannot break biological boundaries, but God made your body. God is the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, and God's the one who's going to knit this child together in your womb. God will make it so. And Gabriel doesn't stop there. He continues on and takes it a step further to actually say to Mary, do you want proof? Do you want proof that God is able to break the barriers of your biological boundaries? And the answer that he gives is he takes a step further and he says, you need to go visit your relative Elizabeth. Go visit Elizabeth because virgins can't have babies, but you know who else can't have babies either? Women who are past the age of childbearing. Women who have never been able to have babies in the first place. Elizabeth, we read earlier in the book of Luke, her entire life could not bear children and now is too old to bear children. But when Mary goes and visits Aunt Lizzie, what she's going to find is a bump on her belly that has nothing to do with Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) She's going to find a woman in her third trimester, entering into her third trimester, a woman who is pregnant. So Gabe says to her, look, I understand that what I'm saying is impossible for you. But nothing is impossible for God. Verse 38. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
We don't know what Mary was thinking here. We don't know what was running through her mind. She probably had fears. She's probably afraid of how Joseph would respond when he found out that she was pregnant. Probably afraid of how her family would respond, uh, about the shame that would be brought upon her family. She was probably afraid of uh, even legal retribution for what she did. Uh, there, There could even be lawsuits against her as somebody who was betrothed, but then... Uh, found to be pregnant, found to be unfaithful. Not even to mention all the other fears that any woman has when she finds out that she's pregnant for the first time, especially. And beyond fears, what about questions? Mary only asks one question here. We can only imagine the laundry list of questions that is just running through Mary's mind. But we don't know her fears. We don't know her questions because Mary doesn't go into them. All we see from Mary here in this passage is her response. All we see is how she responds to this news, she submits to the Lord. She says to, God, she says to the angel, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This word servant is, that's, that's, a, that's a euphemism. This, the word here is also translated slave. I am a slave of the Lord. In other words, Mary is saying, I am releasing my power here. I am surrendering it. I am submitting to him. I am open and willing to obey whatever my master tells me. Let it be to me according to your word. As we look at this passage as a whole, just back up with me for a minute. We see three things. Number one, what? A child is going to be born to a virgin. Number two, who? He will be a human. He will be God. He will be the Messiah, the anointed king that people have been waiting for. Jewish people have been waiting for. And number three, how? How is this possible? The answer is that God, who alone can operate outside the laws of nature, will make it so, because nothing is impossible for God. That is the message that we see when we look through uh, this book as a whole. or uh, Sorry, this passage as a whole. But when we look at any passage of Scripture, um, we, we really have to use two tools. Two tools to, to understand what it's saying. The first tool is a microscope. We want to put any passage of Scripture under a microscope, looking at the the minutiae of it, trying to figure out what are these words saying? How do these words fit together? What is the author trying to communicate to his readers? That's the first tool we want to use. But the second tool we have to use every time we look at any passage of Scripture is a wide-angle lens. We have to look at the entire story of the Bible from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, look at its flow, and then ask ourselves the question, How does this passage fit into that bigger passage? How does this verse, this group of verses, fit into what we see in these 2,000 pages sitting in front of us? And when we look at these verses, Luke 1, 26 through 38, under a microscope, it's tempting to look at it and believe that Mary is the main character here. It's easy to look at it and think that the main message we're supposed to walk away with is that Mary was faithful to God. And that's true. But when we take this passage and plug it into the entire storyline of Scripture, what we recognize is that that is not the main idea of this passage, and Mary is not the main character. This passage is not ultimately about Mary and her faithfulness to God, but God and His faithfulness to His people. Because when we look back at the Old Testament, and we look at all these prophecies and these promises, what we're told is that eventually a king will come. We saw this last week. A king who will be a restorer, who will come and set up his kingdom, who will reign forever over this kingdom of justice and of righteousness and of peace. 
Isaiah chapter 9 last week, we saw that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will bring this about. But now in this passage, God is saying, it's time for me to do it. It's time for me to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. It's time for me to fulfill my promises to my people. It's time for me to do what I've been saying I've been going to do for generations. It's time for me to fix what is broken. It's time for me to send Jesus. Jesus, who will be pierced for your transgressions. It's time for me to crush Satan on the cross. It's time for me to set him on David's throne forever. It's time for me to establish that kingdom of peace. It's time for me to bring blessings to the nations. The point is this. When we take this passage and plug it into all the scripture, what we see is God looking back and saying, all these promises, the time has come. I am going to fulfill my promises. I will fulfill my plan. That's the main message. God is faithfully fulfilling his plan. God is faithfully fulfilling his plan. God is faithfully fulfilling his plan. Do you see that? Good. Because now that we do, we can turn back to Mary. Because there is something really important that we today, as Christians in 2019, soon to be 2020, have to learn from Mary. Because as God is faithfully fulfilling his plan of restoring all of creation, he gives Mary a job to do. He gives Mary a role in his great work of restoration. The job that he gives her is that she is going to bear the Messiah. And then she comes to him and she says, how? And God's messenger responds by saying, don't worry about that. Nothing is impossible for God. He will make it so. And while her job is not easy... While she will receive ridicule and pain and possibly estrangement, she submits to her master. She surrenders her power to God and she says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. God is faithfully fulfilling his plan and Mary is faithful to her role in God's plan. Let me say that again. God is being faithful to his plan and Mary is being faithful to her role in God's plan. And I think it's here that we can figure out, as Christians today, why, how we can use this passage and apply it to our own lives. How we can personally respond to this passage. The main point is that God is being faithful to his plan. But at the same time, for us today, just as Mary has a job, has a role to play in God's plan, we too have been given a role. We too have been given a job to do as he moves history forward to its ultimate conclusion. Our job, Matthew, at the very end, is that we need to go. As God brings about his kingdom, the role he gives us to do in the bringing about of that kingdom is to go and to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is the job he has given us to do in his kingdom. He is bringing his kingdom, and our job is to tell the good news of what happened to Bethlehem, to repeat the sounding joy of the coming of the Messiah, to tell who this boy was, and to tell that he would someday become a king who would die to reconcile God with man. And our job today is to live as obedient citizens of that kingdom. 
This is the job that God has given every single one of his believers. But that is the broad message. That is the broad message that applies to all of us. The message that applies to every single Christian ever in us today. But I think we need to get a little more specific here. Because just like Mary, God is also calling you specifically, individually, to a certain specific way of obeying him. And right now we have to ask ourselves, what is it that God is calling me to do as we all work together to prepare the coming of the kingdom? What is the role he's given me? What is the task he's given me? What is the task he's given you? This isn't a rhetorical question. Have this in your mind. Is there a relationship he's calling you to build? Maybe a neighbor that you haven't really connected with yet. Or maybe a neighbor that you have connected with yet, but they talk too much, so you don't really want to talk to them that much. Or maybe there's a relationship in your life that that has been estranged, that's been broken because of mutual sin. Is there a rebuilding that needs to happen? Is there an apology that you need to extend even if they don't extend one to you? Is there a way that he might be calling you or leading you to serve your town? To serve this school? A way that he might be calling you or leading you to serve this church or to serve a friend on your own? Is there a way that he might be using you to prepare the coming of this kingdom? God called Mary to a very specific job. Is there something that God is calling you to as we prepare for God's return? And I I like to look back at Mary here because the task that God gave Mary is a hard task. This was a life-alteringly hard task. But even though Mary's list of fears were long (laughs) and her, her questions must have been even longer, I think that we can be reminded of how we can respond to these hard things by remembering what Gabriel told Mary. That we don't know exactly how God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish in and through us. But nothing is impossible with God. We can remember that whatever boundaries we see as we think about obeying him or following him, he is bigger than those boundaries. He is not limited by the barriers that we face. Our job is not to figure out how God will work things out. Our job is to obey and to let him work things out. And to say to him, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, God. This is a hard message for me personally right now because this is something I am struggling with. Um, A couple of months ago, as you know, uh, maybe six months ago now uh, or more, uh, God laid it on uh, Olivia and I's heart to pursue adoption. And we felt so sure and so confident that this is the way that God was calling us and leading us and drawing us as we sought to obey him to do what he was calling us to. So we took a lot of time to pray about this, to talk about it with people, uh, to learn more about the adoption process. And as we were going through that process, it became more and more confirmed to us that this was indeed the way that God was calling us. So we started the process. And barriers started popping up. If you know anything about the adoption process, you know uh, we were expecting them, but still, you're not ready when they come. <laughs> so we have a pile of paperwork at home that we're still feeling is a, is a barrier to us, even though we're getting there, we're getting close. Along the way, we've, we've lost letters in the mail, letters with important documents in them. We've had to get uh, an untold number of notar, notar, notification, what's it called? 
notarized papers thing sent. Uh, uh, FBI fingerprintings, uh, we've been doing our official documents and realizing that official documents that we've had in our folders and in our wallets are outdated and wrong, <laughs> having to back up and fix those. Barrier after barrier after barrier, financial, legal, of all sorts. But throughout this process, God has shown up. And he's shown up again and again and again and shown that he is bigger but he has not removed all those barriers yet. For us today, this week, we ran into barriers we were not expecting. There were days when we were high and there were days that we were low and there were days that we were just wondering, God, is this even possible? God, did we make the wrong decision here? God, did we not listen very well? Sometimes we think it would have just been easier to have another baby than to go through this adoption process. But then even as we walk through those frustrations, The amazing grace of God is that he has helped us grow in confidence that this is indeed the way that he has called us. This is indeed the direction that he has sent us. That this is the way that he has called us specifically to care for the orphan and for the widow. We haven't been perfectly faithful through this process. But in the process, we're remembering that God has been faithful to us. And we seek to obey, to do our job, to do our role, to do our part and what he calls us to do. And we continue not because it's easy, not because we know how it's going to work out, but because we have a desire to obey our God. So brief hiatus, will you pray for us? Pray for us as we struggle with obedience. But for you, will you ask God what hit plan he has for your life. Ask God what role he has given you as you prepare for the coming of the kingdom. And when he tells you, I pray that you would obey, that you would leave the how to him and surrender, submit, and let that step of faith be an act of worship because he is the God who not just demands part of our lives, but all of our lives. Will you give it to him? And what I love about this whole conversation is that the only reason that we can talk about having a role in the kingdom at all is because Jesus made a way for us to enter that kingdom. That we have been in sin since the moment of our births. We have rebelled against him. We have pushed him away. But when Jesus came, what he did was he took our sin and he put it on his shoulders. And he went to the cross. And when he died, he bore the punishment that we were supposed to bear. When he died, our broken relationship with him was restored. And when we put our faith in him, he washes away our sins. He restores that relationship. As we move now towards communion, what we're doing together as a church family is we are remembering this amazing work. We're remembering what he did on the cross. We're looking back at what he did and saying together, Father, we will never stop worshiping you and celebrating the life that we have in your name.